welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. His blood is on the hands, the hands he made above the Father cries, above the Father As the soldiers led him away, they see Simon from Cyrene, who is on his way from the country, and put a cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Father, into your hands I commit. 
submit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those that knew him, including the women who had come from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decisions and actions. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. Wow. 
came at Christmas and uh, as a baby came into the world, spent 30 years and, and then we read these stories in the Bible about three years of incredible things that this Son of God, this person Jesus did. Miracles, great teaching and then at the end of that, Jesus got to the point where he was whipped had a crown of thorns put on and put on a cross to die. It was a horrendous death, um, excruciating pain. It was designed to be that way uh, and died in trying desperately to breathe. Uh, the Romans had designed this death to be very, very painful and with no dignity. And as I reflect on that, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on that particular piece, but as I reflect on that, my question is, why? Why did Jesus have to die? And the short answer, the short answer is, for crimes committed. Jesus died for crimes committed. He died for justice, in the process of justice. And we know all about justice. It's a rally cry of our, of our modern era. In fact, I didn't have to look very far to find a, a newspaper headline up saying this, Perth mum fighting industrial giant for justice. We, we would argue it's a bedrock of civilization that justice needs to be done. We have a whole branch of government that implements justice. And we understand that there are laws that are made and if you transgress that law, if you break that law, there needs to be a consequence. That's what justice does. And for us living in Australia, the last legal execution was in 1967. So for many of us, the, the idea of a death penalty seems unnecessary. Seems maybe that's too harsh. But certainly in the Roman system of justice, the death penalty was a very legitimate option. Anybody who threatened the state that's somebody you thought about whether or not they really needed to live. If you're a Roman citizen, it might have been nicer, you might have been beheaded, it was quick. But for someone who wasn't a Roman citizen, if you threatened the state, there were things like crucifixion. And in fact, if we think about God's justice, because God is perfect and just, we're told in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Even in God's justice system, death, spiritual death, when we break God's laws, that's how justice works. So why did Jesus have to die? He died for crimes committed. But the next question is, were they his? I think we're used to, if you commit the crime you pay the penalty. Well, some would argue yes. Some say Jesus died because of his crimes. Who would argue that? Well, let's look at the Bible reading we heard 
But we go back just a little bit. This is in Luke chapter 23. It says this, the whole assembly, this is an assembly of elders of the Jewish people. So Jesus was a Jew and his people, the Jews, there was a, an assembly of elders who uh, held together the law and the culture of the people. So they were gathered together and they rose and led Jesus off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, accuse Jesus, saying, we have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. And there in that last sentence, we see both of Jesus' alleged crimes. His claim to be Messiah and to be king. Now, the claim to be Messiah was blasphemy for this group of elders. How could you possibly be God? They wanted to get rid of him because he was a troublemaker for them and what they believed about themselves and perhaps their power base. So they went to Pilate and they said this, this is in another part of the Bible, John 18, 31, they said, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So this group of people thought Jesus deserved the death penalty, but they couldn't do it themselves. So they went off to Pilate and they said, this guy, this Jesus, he claims to be a king. Now, Pilate had to investigate that. Pilate was the Roman authority in this area and he had to investigate someone who was threatening to be an alternate king to the Roman Caesar. Very serious claim. And Pilate must have taken this incredibly seriously. He must have done a pretty thorough investigation and then he announced his verdict. And again in Luke 23, we can read his verdict. He called these chief priests together. He called them the rulers and the elders of the people. And he said to them, you brought this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence and here is the verdict. And I have found no basis for your charges against him. So here we have Pilate, the executor of Roman might. The judge, and a judge who really doesn't care about a particular individual. And he finds Jesus innocent. So I ask the question again, why? Why did Jesus have to die? If it wasn't for his own crimes, then for whose? Well, let's take a look at some of the people in the lead up and in this time of Good Friday, in the lead up to this time and, and, and in Good Friday. You might have heard of a character called Judas. He was one of the people who followed Jesus around for, t for three years, one of his 12 disciples. And in Matthew 26, we read this. One of the 12, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out 30 pieces of silver. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. In a different translation, the English Standard Version, it says this, Judas watched for an opportunity to betray him. And he got that opportunity last night, Thursday night, in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas betrayed Jesus. That was Judas' crime. And Judas' sin, the thing he did wrong was to ignore what was right, despite having been with this person who was God. Jesus died because of Judas. But not only because of him. You see, there were great crowds with swords and clubs. We read uh, in Matthew 26, 
that Jesus, when he was praying on the Thursday night, so for us last night, praying quietly in a garden, a whole crowd came and accosted him. And this crowd, it says in the Bible, was sent by the chief priests. And I can't help but wonder, were any of the people in that crowd the same ones that just a few days earlier had welcomed this Jesus into the city of Jerusalem with palm leaves and singing, Hosanna, you're the king? I don't know. But now here they are, making sure that Jesus is arrested. Their crime, I think, was to blindly follow what the chief priests were saying. And their sin was to believe the wrong truth. Jesus died because of that crowd's crimes. But not only because of them. We've talked about the chief priests, the scribes, the elders. This group that was supposed to hold the law and all that was good for the nation of Israel. Yet everything they held dear was threatened by this character. And their hearts, I think there's a really disturbing part in the scripture, their hearts are unveiled when in the midst of them, you can imagine one person in the midst of a crowd and they put up false testimony against him. They basically bring in people to lie against him and then at a certain point they start to hit him and spit on him. There's this vehemence inside them. I think their sin was to confuse the question, who am I? And who is Jesus? The answer to that, they had the wrong way around. Their crime was to reject God because they wanted to be God. Jesus died because of them. But not only because of them. We've got Pilate, a man who having found Jesus innocent, a man who understood about justice, decided to subvert that because of politics. You know, Pilate understood that the highest authority was his job description and his highest authority was Caesar. So Pilate's tragic, haunting question, you might have heard this in John chapter 18 verse 38, Pilate, this judge who holds right and wrong, if it were, life and death in his hand at that moment, says, what is truth? Pilate's crime was to kill and sentence to death an innocent man. And his sin was a wrongful understanding of what's right and wrong. Jesus died because of Pilate. But not only because of him. There were others. There were others in the drama. You can think about the soldiers who mocked and humiliated Jesus. Whipped him, put the crown of thorns on him. The crowd that Pilate brought Jesus out to in a sort of a vague attempt to set him free. But the crowd said, no, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And even his disciples who deserted Jesus when he needed them. So why did Jesus die? He died because of the sins of other people. Their wrongful understanding of truth. Their wrongful action with regard to what's right. And their wrongful understanding of who they were in relation to God. Jesus died because of the sins of all of those characters. But not only because of them. There's a great story about a fellow in the 20th century called G.K. Chesterton. He was later in life, became a Christian, very clever guy, very witty, great writer. Such a good writer that the Times newspaper of London wrote to him and a number of others, the early 20th century, and wrote 
to them with this question. What is wrong with the world today? Can you famous writers please write some pieces and we'll do this series in our newspaper. What is wrong with the world today? And I want to read to you Chesterton's response. I want to read you his full letter. Now, bear in mind this is a a fairly old style, so it's a formal start and a formal ending. But I thought it was worth this morning reading the full answer from this insightful, witty guy to the question, what is wrong with the world today? Chesterton wrote, Dear Sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. I am. The Bible puts it this way. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Or perhaps more simply in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Why did Jesus have to die? Because of my sin and because of yours. Because of my wrongful understandings of the truth. Because of my wrongful actions and attitudes because of my wrong understanding of who I am and who God is. Sometimes I want to be God and be in control. Our sins have the most significant of consequences. If sin's an unfamiliar word to you, it just means where we don't line up with what God wants. He sets the ultimate law. And the most significant consequences are separation from God, are needing to bear the wrath of God, and ultimately death, spiritually and physically. So how are you feeling right now? Did you come to church this morning thinking, this will be a great start to the weekend? Easter, happy Easter! And perhaps this is not exactly what you're expecting. Perhaps this is not quite as uplifting as as you were hoping. I make no apology for that. But I would ask that you just keep your mind open because this is only part of the story. You see, the extent to which we understand our role in what happened to Jesus on Friday is the extent to which we can grasp and be happy and say Happy Easter on Sunday. You may have heard of a quite a famous guy, an evangelist, called Tony Campolo and if you have you'll probably be smiling because you know what I'm going to say he was uh, maybe 20 or 30 years ago he preached this series that became quite famous and he had a wonderful expression a powerful refrain I'm not going to be able to do it he would shout it I'm just going to say it and he would say it's Friday but Sundays are coming it's Friday but Sunday is a coming We live in this amazing period of history where we know what happened on Sunday. It's an incredible blessing, but it can also mean we don't grasp the depth of gravity of what happened on Friday. On Friday, Jesus' followers, who hadn't yet lived through Sunday, they were devastated. They'd been with him for three years and they were in shock. They were in grief. They had this enormous sense of loss 
And they must have been asking themselves the question, why? Why did Jesus have to die? Even the general observers, as we heard in the Bible reading this morning, in Luke chapter 23, 48, it says this, all the people who had gathered, all the people who had gathered to witness, and they saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. Everybody who was there had this sense of that was heavy, that was not right. For all of them there was this sense afterwards on Friday of reflection, of questioning, of wait, why did Jesus have to die? And perhaps, like we've talked about this morning, they came to the conclusion that it was for crimes committed. Perhaps they came to the conclusion, I had a role for my crimes, my sin. But that is not, it is not the end of the story. I don't want you to leave today, particularly if you don't come to church regularly. We are so excited that you're here, even with this heavy story. Because this is only part of the story. I don't want you to leave here today thinking, that's Easter. This is part of Easter. And there is someone, even at the cross, who glimpsed it. Did you hear the bit about the criminal next to Jesus? And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. That man got a glimpse. And I wonder if for anyone else, this question of why did Jesus have to die well because of my sins, does that prompt a question for you? I wonder if it prompted a question for Jesus' followers, for the people who were thinking this through. Thinking that if Jesus was the Son of God, why did he have to die for somebody else's sins? He could have just allowed people who got it wrong to take the consequence. Isn't that more normal justice? Isn't justice where the person who does the wrong thing takes the consequence? Why did Jesus have to pay that penalty? Couldn't, couldn't he have just let each of the people we've identified who were responsible for crimes suffer God's wrath, suffer separation, suffer the consequences? So perhaps this morning, the better question to reflect on is not why did Jesus die, but why did Jesus choose to die? What could possibly motivate God? What could possibly motivate God, all-powerful God, to choose death on a cross? Death in agony. Why would He choose to suffer for the sins that you and I commit? Jesus actually had already given that answer to His disciples. And as we leave today, with our hearts heavy, as we leave today reflecting on this part of the story of Easter, we do have the luxury of knowing what happened on Sunday. We have John who wrote what Jesus said about this. Why did Jesus choose to die? There is an answer. Why? Because God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. I'd like to hear more about that, would you? 
Sunday's coming. Sunday is coming. Let's pray. God in heaven, this morning we reflect with great weight in our heart on the events of Good Friday. It doesn't feel good, God, and it shouldn't. We grapple with this truth that Jesus chose to die because of our sins. And Father in heaven, as we process that this morning, we pray that our hearts would be led into repentance, to a deeper understanding of actually what Sunday is going to mean. And at the same time, we're so thankful that today we do live in this time where we know that Sunday's happened. That in our reflection, no matter how dark, no matter how difficult it might seem, how weighty, we can't help but know that there's an illumination from Sunday that sheds a light of hope over us. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us hold that tension today on Friday of remembering the significance of Friday, but seeing the hope that is coming. Almighty Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, on the night that Jesus met with his disciples the Thursday night before Friday. Jesus knew what was going to happen. And in that knowledge, he spent some time with his disciples and said to them, this is something I want you to do. We call it the Lord's Supper. As part of the meal that they had, Jesus took some bread and he broke it because he knew this was going to symbolize what he was about to do the next day for each of the people present and in fact for all of us who believe in Jesus ever after. He broke that bread and said, this is my body, body that is broken for you. And then he took a cup of wine and he said to his disciples, this wine represents my blood. It's my blood that tomorrow I'm going to be spilling for you. How fitting then today, on Good Friday, that we together come around a table and remember what Jesus asked us to remember with the bread and the cup. So we're going to celebrate that this morning. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to move forward, if you would like to. This is an invitation, not a must, of course. If you would like to, to come up and take a piece of bread, take the cup, sit down and just reflect. Reflect on the weight of Good Friday, of the weight of what Jesus has actually chosen to do for you. Now I'll pray before we do that. And I just encourage you in this time to just sit in this and reflect. There are also candles there if you'd like to light a candle. So why don't we pray together if you'd bow your heads with me. We'll pray over the bread and the cup. And then I'll just encourage you to take your own time. This can take a while if you would like it to, just to spend time reflecting. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for what you did for us. And this morning we remember your words that are written down. The words when you were meeting with your disciples, eating with them. And after taking bread and giving thanks, you broke it and you said this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
And then after taking the cup and giving thanks, you, Lord Jesus, said, drink from it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. And do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Holy Spirit, as we take part this morning in the bread and the cup, stir our hearts. Stir us to repentance and deeper knowledge of you. Amen.